This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy, and welcome to AutoLine This Week. Today's show, all about Tesla, or really the history of Tesla. In fact, what I should say is the behind-the-scenes history of Elon Musk's involvement in Tesla. And the reason I say that is my guest today is Tim Higgins, a reporter with the Wall Street Journal and the author of the book called Power Play, all about the history of Tesla and how it got from where it was to where it is today. Tim, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. It's uh, an interesting book, to say the least. And, you know, my first reaction was, all the critics are right. This company has been nothing but a house of cards, just on the verge of running out of money at every turn, but always manages to pull through. Is that how you see it? Yeah, it's interesting. When I started writing the book in 2018, I thought I was going to be writing the story of this very public collapse, potentially the bankruptcy, maybe the end of Tesla as we knew it. But instead, it became perhaps one of the most uh, dramatic corporate turnarounds of our generation uh, with the success of the Model 3, uh, the launch in China, and now the world's most valuable automaker. Um, From the near end to what it is today, that's that's a remarkable uh, journey. What's the main takeaway that you took away from your own book? Well, you know, I think this is something that you probably can appreciate that Elon Musk has been critical to Tesla and his ability to sell the vision of the electric car to customers, but more importantly, perhaps to Wall Street, to investors who have funded that company from early days and through now giving it a war chest, which it will need, because as you know, the auto industry is a cash eating machine. And so his ability to, to articulate why the electric car could be the future um, has been absolutely critical. Did you talk to Elon Musk for this book? Well, I don't talk about who my sources are, but it's it's clear that he does not endorse this book and he did not help in this book, did not participate in any way to make it make it available to people. In fact, he, he calls it boring, which I take um, it perhaps is a sign uh, that you should read it because you remember in 2018 when the company was near collapse, he was calling Wall Street's questions to him about the finances of the company boring and bonehead. Uh, and that is kind of why perhaps he doesn't like this book. It is an exploration of what went wrong and what went right over the company's history. And it is not always, uh, you know, not always a storybook. It uh, is very dramatic. And that was really the goal that I had to, you know, kind of take away the myth and get in there and say, okay, what specifically did this army of people do uh, to make this company work? Because as you started off saying, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, it looks like they're on the verge of, of collapse all the time, but they have pulled something off there. And I thought it was an important story to tell. Yeah, I would add, they, they pulled it off because they're building a pretty good product. I mean, they're breaking a lot of rules as to how the traditional auto industry always operated. And and so far, they've made it work. Well, you hit a, you hit it on the head there. Um, you know, despite the problems with service or potentially quality with the Model Three, uh, it is a, a remarkable product out there, and it, it has a lot to, a lot of debt to pay to the Model S. And the Model S is a key part of the Tesla story. 
uh, in really what I like to think of is Tesla 2.0. This is when Elon Musk is fully uh, in, in the chair of CEO and starts pulling the levers to, to enact his vision for the electric car to show the world that an electric car did not have to be boring, but it could be the world's best car that just happened to be electric. And that set the stage for where we are now with the Model 3. The Model 3 is really uh, and in a lot of ways, the next generation Model S. I know that Tesla wouldn't like to say that. I know Elon wouldn't like to say that. But in a, in a lot of ways, it's kind of that next level. Okay, you will not divulge your sources, but can you tell us the kind of people that you interviewed to get all the backstory? Right. It, it, you know, I wanted this to be the definitive history of Tesla to this point. And in order to do that, it took hundreds of interviews. Uh, you can imagine the, the the scale of having to talk to people from the beginning through the, through now, uh, thousands of documents, uh, really to to try to get beyond the the hype, if you will. And, and the documents are very key. I think that's what's something interesting in this book is that there's a lot of revisionist history with Tesla these days. Um, but you can see Elon's own words um, as he's working on the Model S. Um, through these through these pages, because I've got the I've got the emails, and and in you know this story is more than just Elon Musk. To me, it was really trying to get the men and women behind the scenes who worked on the engineering and the manufacturing and the sales to tell that story, and and that that was is a key thing. And so uh, you know we start at the beginning with Martin Eberhardt, the co-founding. Uh, he was a CEO at the beginning, the co-founder, and whose really his vision was born out of uh, a midlife crisis uh, in the early 2000s when he was uh, looking for what was next in life. He was going through a painful divorce. Uh, he was kind of trying to figure out what his next career move was going to be. And he went to, you know, the, the, the constant, the best way to figure out a midlife crisis is with a sports car. Right. And but he, he was worried about climate change. He was worried about dependency on foreign oil and thought maybe the an electric car was the way to go and was surprised that he couldn't find a cool electric car. And that put him on the road and Tesla on the road to where we are today. So you got the emails. That's pretty interesting. And you interviewed hundreds of people. Did you find that people were willing to talk to you out of a sense of revenge or out of a sense of pride of what they accomplished? It largely was a sense of pride. Here are, are people who have dedicated their lives to this idea of Tesla, the idea of electric cars. And they felt like perhaps the story of how it really happened hadn't been told. And so that was a motivator for a lot of people. And I'm sure some people felt slighted. Some people felt like they hadn't had their time in the, in the sun. But for the most people, the motivation was clearly about feeling pride over what the company had accomplished. You know, that's one of the interesting things about Tesla that you don't see at a lot of car companies these days is that here are people who are attracted to the company because of the mission. Uh, the mission, and it sounds hokey on the outside, but these folks really believe that they are changing the world, putting green energy vehicles on the roadway, and that and that drives them. It, it, they take the pay at Tesla that is often less than their, their counterparts at other tech companies in Silicon Valley. Yes, the stock has done a lot better, perhaps, but there there is a lot of risk going there. They, it's grueling hours. Elon clearly is a you know an interesting boss to work for. Uh, you know, here here are people who are just motivated um, by this idea of of changing the car industry, and that that's very powerful. One of the reasons I asked if they had talked to you out of a sense of revenge is because one thing that's clear in the book is, man, 
Elon burns through a lot of people and uh, they don't leave on good terms in, in so many cases. In fact, you've got one episode there where he tears into one of the engineers very well down, you know, the, the, the level of, of the hierarchy of the company. And uh, so that, that's why I asked if uh, sure. you were getting things from disgruntled people just because he's burned through so many folks. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting, folks. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who worked around Elon directly, closely with him. Uh, and there's this interesting dynamic. And in, in, on one hand, they can talk about how inspiring he was what it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to work for him. On the other hand, they can say, well, he's a flawed character. And there's, that's just the kind of the reality of working at Tesla and working for Elon is that he's going to the moon, but also he might get there by stepping on you. And, you know, so there are some people who've had, you know, there are lots of people who've had brushes with that. In fact, sometimes the best way to survive at Tesla is to not, as some people will say, fly too close to the sun. Uh, and, you know, but it's also, it's interesting how the company has changed over time. There's a feeling that early on Elon's, uh, you know, harsh uh, comments or the way he treated people was reserved for maybe higher level people, those around him. As you would see at any major company, though perhaps with less profanity and, and less uh, and kind of in your faceness. But as 2018 really kind of shaped up and the company was really on the line and the company had grown so large it was very hard uh it was really you know it was very difficult at that point and his anger seemed to be lashing out at random people almost as if he was shouting in the dark and didn't know who to blame for what was going on and oftentimes some of these mistakes were his own they were decisions that he insisted upon because he thought it was the right way for the company to do. And then he found himself in a hole and was having to dig out of it. Yeah, I, I get the sense that so much of what he was pushing for so rapidly and, and so chaotically was to keep the price up, to keep investors uh, interested in the company. Do, do you think that Tesla has changed in that regard? I mean, some of the early attempts at building cars that, that you document here are, are not the way that it should be done. But they did get it done. Uh, do you think that they've learned and are now more uh, methodical and conservative in their approach to ensure that they're building good quality? Well, it's interesting. There's an interesting dynamic with Tesla. On one hand, what sets them apart is their development in battery uh, battery pack management, that heat management, um, the software in the car, the things they can do with over-the-air updates. You know, these are really class-leading uh, compared to their competitors. Whereas if you compare them to a General Motors or a Volkswagen or Toyota, they are clearly behind in, in the kind of manufacturing prowess that you see in companies with generations of experience. They've struggled in some of the basics of sales and service uh, that other company, other automakers have mastered. And that continues to be one of the challenges going forward is the execution on the uh, meat and potato uh, of the auto industry. And so in a lot of ways, it's a race. It's a race to build up those competencies to compete against the best while keeping what they do well from the Silicon Valley part of the company, keeping that going forward. And so it really, there's still, you know, there is still a developing company in that regards. Yeah. Uh, they've had lots of battles, uh, you know, with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Now they're under investigation from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the National Traffic Safety Board. Uh, 
the National Auto Dealers Association doesn't like the, the way that they're going to market direct to consumer. And the UAW has tried to organize the plan. I mean, uh, are there more fights here? Or do you think they've got that behind them? Well, the, the history of Tesla is a fight for control. First, it was a fight for control at the CEO office. It was a fight for control for the vision of the company, a fight for control among investors, a fight for control among Wall Street, really a fight for control among the narrative of what Tesla was going to be. And one of the things that really has, you know, has become kind of Elon Musk's calling card is the sense of defiance, whether it's against rivals or regulators or you know, the media he is going to fight for what he thinks is best for Tesla and for his, uh, you know, for his vision. And that that has been, you know, one of the things you see early on. And, you know, clearly going forward, there are more fights for them. You know, Tim, everything that you just said there reminds me of Henry Ford a hundred years ago, going through the same sort of thing. So Elon seems to be fitting the mold of entrepreneurs who are out to change the world but doing it on their own terms. Well, you hit something, you know, you hit it on the head there. There's a lot of similarities between Elon Musk today and the the auto titans of the early days, whether it was Henry Ford or Billy Durant. Um, these are people who uh, were self-made in a lot of ways. They were charting their own path. And that that is one of the keys of, of, of Tesla's success here is that it arrived at the scene without the baggage of 100 years of doing something. And, you know, it's not that GM or other automakers hadn't thought about an electric car. They, clearly, they had the EV1. GM had the EV1. They, they were pursuing this idea. But what Tesla had that was unique was the ability to say, this is the way or this is the bet we're going to make. And really, what were the stakes? I mean, you know, a few million dollars at the time. I mean, to me, a million dollars is a big deal. I mean, John, I know not to you, but, you know, for, you know, the, the, compared to GM or an automaker, the, what they were doing was almost child's play. And it allowed them to, to go down a path that, I, you know, clearly others weren't willing to do at the time. The decision to use lithium-ion batteries um, when they started out with the Roadster, was a big decision that uh, you know some felt like was the wrong technology, and a lot of automakers were looking for the perfect technology. Whereas Tesla, they began with the idea of here's a technology that's on the shelf. The idea was you know essentially they could become maybe one of the world's largest buyers of lithium-ion cells, those fat finger-sized uh, batteries that are strung together by the thousands in a pack to make the car go forward and operate. And by doing that, they ultimately would bring down the price of those battery cells and that, that would make the car affordable enough to make it mainstream. That was, you know, a pretty big, uh, pretty big idea. And it, one of the challenges early on, though, was, as we see today for traditional and other automakers, is making sure those battery packs don't uh, become fire hazards. And that really was what separated them early on. The technological advancement that they made was figuring out how to uh, control those battery cells to make them safe to put them on the road. When it comes to Tesla, Elon is kind of famous for overpromising and underdelivering. The the good news is ultimately he does deliver. But right now it looks like full self-driving and the promise of robo taxis keeps getting pushed back and back and back. And Elon has told owners if they put their car into the robo taxi fleet when it's available they might be able to earn as much as $30,000 a year on their car. I think this is much of what has propelled the stock price is this anticipation of future earnings. But what's your sense of it? Uh, 
is full self-driving or autopilot or, you know, uh, true autonomy. Is that going to happen anytime in the future? And, and if not, is the stock price going to suffer? Well, you've, you've, you're getting this important theme in the book is, is Elon's ability to sell the future. Right. And at first, it was selling the future of electric vehicles. Uh, but as Tesla became more successful, it opened up the world's ideas that maybe you didn't have to be a traditional automaker to build and sell cars in the world, that there was a, another path for new entrants. And that really got uh, Silicon Valley stirred up a lot. And you see the, the likes of Apple and others trying to get into that space. And the idea would be autonomy. And this was driving a lot of investment in the valley. And clearly, Elon saw that. And he, 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 part of the brand image is, is this kind of cutting edge car tech. And he also believes in, in this idea of, of being able to get in the car and, and uh, you know, kind of have a nag free system that is safer, that he would argue is safer than just a, a typical driving system. So that's autopilot, driver assistance system. What, what we see in 2016, though, it is laid out in the book, kind of a change in some of the people around him's view of his comments. Uh, the company had always been built on selling the future, selling what seemed impossible, and then kind of stretch goals the company would reach and, and finally achieve it. Maybe they, maybe people around him didn't think it was possible, but he would, he would push them towards either close to what he promised or to what he promised. And sometimes things didn't work out as promised, of course. Uh, I think of battery swap technology that never really took off. But, you know, the idea of the Model S is out there, the Model X. But in 2016, he starts becoming really obsessed with the idea of, of talking about fully self-driving technology. They're preparing the second generation of autopilot and people around him are cautioning that you can't go out and say this is fully self-driving technology. It's not ready. It's not going to be possible with what we're putting out. And lo and behold, he did. And it came at a time when you know there was a lot of investor pressure and investor uh, you know uh, real close investor attention on the stock and you know going forward that the, his comments about autonomy have only gotten bigger and bolder and that has caused a lot of concern uh, among uh, self-driving experts and safety experts it's really given a lot of people pause because there's you know it's there's this is safety we're talking about this is one of the differences between the technology in Silicon Valley where if you're working on technology to make ad sales a little bit better versus putting uh, you know, you know thousands of pounds of steel on the roadway that endanger people's lives or, or protect people's lives, that's that's you know what's really one of the big differences that's going on with Tesla versus its peers in Silicon Valley. One of the great things about your book too is it gives a lot of insight into everything that's been going on with the board of directors at Tesla. Who, who tend to be friends and family in so many cases. Uh, as, as you've reported on all this, what's your sense? Is there a proper amount of governance at the company? Is the board independent enough? Well, in a lot of ways, I, I try to, I mean, I would, when I talk to people about Elon Musk's businesses, I kind of think about it as Elon Inc. And he's got his privately held a space, a rocket company, SpaceX. He's got these other startups, the Boring Company, the Brain Computer Company, um, and then there's Tesla. Well, Tesla is unique in that kind of uh, stable of companies in that that it is publicly traded, and that changes the rules. And it is, he has bucked at that uh, kind of those re those restrictions over the years, clearly. Um, but you have to go back in time and remember what the world was like in 2010 when Tesla went public. Or even go back in time in twenty to twenty that two thousand three when Tesla was founded. 
The idea that there would be billions of dollars of investor capital, private investor capital to go into a, a new company was was unbelievable at the time. There was, and one of the reasons why there hadn't been a lot of efforts to have a, a new car company in the modern era is because the traditional Silicon Valley, Sand Hill Road uh, investors didn't believe, didn't want to put the kind of cash or wait the kind of years that it would take to see return. And th this is, you know, one of the issues that Tesla has always faced is the need to raise cash, right? And so that's, you know, one of the, the, the kind of challenges that Elon has had over the years. Um, you also talk a lot about Solar City, and and my question is, uh, and, and there was a lot of controversy uh, amongst investors about buying Solar City. Apparently, uh, there were even questions on the board of directors. Uh, what's your sense? Is there true synergy between Solar City and Tesla? I.e., using solar panels to charge batteries for your house and charge your car. Or was he just bailing out his brother who owned the company and it looked like it was sinking at the time? Well, you could see a potential for synergy uh, down the road. Uh, was there synergy when they did the deal? Uh, clearly, it hasn't worked out the way. Um, but it gets back to, you know, the road I was just talking about, this the need for investors. And that, you know, there would be no Tesla without Elon Musk. But when Martin Eberhardt is looking for investors when he's founded the company, Elon became clearly one of the only people out there who wanted to put in a lot of money. And that was, it gets to the kind of Elon's vision of what he sees as the future and his risk tolerance and just kind of what the kind of makeup of him. And that's how he became into the company as the largest investor and made him chairman. And then his commitment to the company over time was remarkable. He essentially put his fortune, which he had made through PayPal, the uh, the the financial uh, the online financial company uh, he put it into his rocket company and put it into Tesla going more and more doubling down doubling down to the point where if Tesla had gone under and it almost did in 2008 at the end of 2008 he would have been done and that fortitude um, you don't see from a lot of, uh, of, of millionaires right and so but one of the things that sets up is that his finances had became so intertwined, his personal finances, it became so intertwined, it became so messy that as the company then started to go out, it goes public, um, he, the way he essentially keeps control, the, the control that he has is by, by being the largest shareholder. And there's some provisions in the, in the corporate governance that and in a lot of ways give him it doesn't give him the kind of control that the founders of Google have, but there are some ways for him to block some things by keeping that large share, that large pile of shares. So he can't sell. He what he does is he borrows against his shares. And then that puts him into potential debt. Uh if the share prices fall, uh, then he could be have to sell and then he might lose control. And so there's this tension there, right? Well, the same thing he was doing with Solar City. And Solar City was founded by his cousins. He was the largest shareholder. He was the chairman. His brother was involved as an investor. And this puts a lot of pressure on the company as Solar City is in trouble in 2016, 2015, 2016. And there was concern uh, among people around Elon and Elon that, that if Solar City went under, that that would kind of keep, it would put him in jeopardy, but it also would potentially limit. Tesla's ability to raise cash. And that's the thing that's been fueling Tesla is his ability to raise cash. So if Solar City went down, the belief was that maybe Tesla wouldn't have that access. 
And so the argument from some is that he had no choice but to bail himself out because there was how would he continue this kind of salesmanship that he's selling the future? You know, your book reminds me of that scene in The Wizard of Oz when they discover that the wizard is just some guy behind a curtain. Do you think that your book might do the same sort of thing? Are people going to look at Tesla differently now that they know what was going on behind the scenes and use that knowledge to judge the company as to what's going on now? Well, it's one of these things where one of the things that people will probably learn is, you know, Elon has this incredible risk appetite. You know, his, from his personal fortune to the way he makes decisions at the corporate level, um, these are not the kinds of things that potentially get you ahead if you are working at a General Motors or a Ford, if you're trying to work your way up. And, and that, you know, that's one of the huge differences at Tesla. People want to often ask me, well, you know, is, Tesla, is Elon good for Tesla? What has he done? And, you know, one of the things that I think comes out in this book is that when he becomes CEO, he's got the vision for what would become the Model S. He wanted it to be, as I said, the best car that happened to be electric. Well, he had, they had been working on, on that car. It was codenamed White Star for years. And he had hired, Tesla had hired a bunch of engineers, some really good people out of Detroit and elsewhere around the world. And they were working on this car. And the, the, the mandate was it was going to be a $50,000 car to the customer. They had, you know, something like $150 million, $200 million budget. And they were, you know, so they were short budget, uh, really working to try to be innovative. And Elon was just so frustrated with it. He just thought it was, you know, not what he envisioned. Uh, you know, they had deals with Ford to get Ford's part catalog. Uh, they were going to do all sorts of other things. They were trying to think of other unique ways to save money. And when he becomes CEO, he changes it. He's got the ability then to direct the kinds of funds and make the decisions that take it from a $50,000 car to what eventually would become a hundred or $120,000 Model S. And, you know, if you are a product, uh, a chief product engineer at Ford and you are, your goal is a $50,000 car and you deliver a $120,000 car, you're not having a career at Ford, right? Yeah. But Elon yeah. Musk is the CEO. He can go out and raise the money to keep putting what putting it into what he wants to do is that car. And the Model S, clearly a pretty remarkable car, but you might call it a failure from a traditional car maker's perspective of delivering what he was, the goal of what the, the original goal of the vehicle. Yeah, well, vision and fortitude. I think that's what really describes Elon Musk in this case. Tim, we're going to have to wrap it up at this point, but thanks so much for coming on. Very interesting book. If anybody's interested in uh, everything in the auto industry, I highly recommend it. Thank you. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.